And now, right to your hosts up down the garden path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome, everyone, to Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me across Zoom is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne. Good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us here. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and tonight marks the beginning of a brand new month here on Down the Garden Path, which means a new topic or new theme, as we sometimes call it. Um, And this month, we're going to take a deep dive into some of the colorful and resilient staples of the perennial garden. We Well, the whole month, we're going to talk about, yeah, perennials. So, yes, sorry, misreading. You can tell I didn't write it, right, Matt? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Of the perennial garden, we're talking perennials, and we want to talk about Um, Like Matt said, the colorful and resilient staples of the perennial garden. Uh, Kicking off the month, we are going to talk about salvias and speedwells. And I'm excited. I really am. And I hope if you don't have one in your garden, then you really should. Uh, So if you want to join the conversation or have a question about your perennial garden, send your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com. So a whole month of talking about different perennials. What do you think? That's right. I think it is a great topic. And I think there are going to be lots of questions. Um, I think I'm excited about everything that, that we've picked. Um, we've got some great choices for you, some great staples. Uh, and this week, we're going to start out uh, with speedwell, or sorry, salvias and speedwells is uh, the, the thing. That's right. That's right. And we do want to let our listeners know that we did do this last June as well. And uh, so if you look back uh, through your, if you have other perennials that you're kind of uh, keen on, uh, we did that for the month of June of 2020. And um, I'll just quickly tell you, we did uh, peonies, ground covers, ornamental grass, and attracting beneficial perennials that attract beneficial insects. Um, So that was last year. So those are all still available on uh, our podcast app. So you can search those. So this year we've decided to do, because there's so many perennials, right? There's so many groups of perennials and things. So we were talking about all new ones, which is exciting. So, uh, so yeah, so every show in June, we're going to be doing a deeper dive into a perennials, uh, certain perennials. And this week they're similar in a way um but they're they are two different plants uh, so, uh salvias and speedwells i know i pretty much put a salvia almost in every garden that i design um in, including my own <laughs> and uh and since and i'm starting to really like uh, speedwells as well so that's a newer one for me um so yeah so i'm excited to share them with everybody what about you uh, i agree and i i like to hear as you're saying um you know you use a salvia in like every garden 
Um, and I am just one of the, my top ones too. I always try to work in uh, one of those salvias or a Veronica, some of those low creeping ones is a nice ground cover or something on the edge of that bed. Um, so yeah, I think you guys are going to find a lot of great uh, choices that we, we can talk about tonight. So where do we dive in? Who do we jump into first? Well, I say let's hit salvias. I mean, they're, like I said, they're my favorite, one of my favorites. Well, I like them both. So, but salvia, <laughs> we'll do alphabetical order, right? So, or salvia before Speedwell. Um, and I think one of the coolest things that we both just discovered uh, doing some research was that uh, they're zones five to 10. So really for our listeners, for the most part, there is a salvia for you, you know, so if you don't already have one in your garden, um, then you can definitely get one uh, here in our zone. You could have the annual. Uh, we're only going to talk perennials, but there is an annual salvia as well. And uh, also kind of got that spiky flower. So. So, yeah. So I think that's uh, let's start there. Let's jump in there. So if you're not familiar with your salvias, um, these guys range in height and width anywhere from uh, two to three feet tall with a nice round habit and an average of 24 to 30 inches uh, in, in width. We often will use them as we were talking about in, in our perennial border. Uh, and they love to be in the full sun and they enjoy a slightly moist uh, well-drained soils as well. If we live in an area like we have here, hopefully sometimes, um, you if you get some cool nights during the summers, it definitely helps to extend that bloom time. Uh, so the flowers get a little bit of relief of that heat uh, and it will increase the length of the bloom and that intensity of some of those colors. I think as I, as I we jump in, um, just more specifically, maybe for our guests who are looking uh, or considering some salvia as we talk, we are talking about salvia uh, nemorosa. So N-E-M-O-R-O-S-A. And you can also find it sometimes as um, salvia ex superba, uh, because there are some of the hybrids, uh, such as the Color Spire series, uh, which is a great little uh, series. They're usually about uh, a foot and a half to two feet tall. Uh, and they come in a, a wide range of different colors. So these guys are going to bloom anywhere from late spring uh, to late summer, depending on the cultivar uh, that you're going to get. And like Joanne was saying, we've got beautiful, tall, long, spike-like cresemes, very dense in their color, uh, anywhere from four to eight inches long, and you can get them in so many different colors. Uh, you know, there's blues, there's whites, there's light pinks, there's pinks, there's purples, uh, and all of, of sorts of different colors. I think one of uh, the favorites that you and I share is probably Caradonna um, of all of them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And she, she gets over to or about two feet tall uh, with just foliage, and then she gets even bigger with some spikes. I've seen them out in the garden. Um, it was a fairly established clump, um, and it's actually at a gas station near me in the weirdest <laughs> places. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, look at you. Uh, but yeah, she was easily like pushing three feet with these beautiful, tall, rich, dark purple uh, spikes. The other thing that I love about the Caradonna as well is it gives you those nice, it's, uh, the family of salvias is in the mint family, 
um, the, the genuses in the mint family. So they have those nice square stems. Caradonna mm, yeah. has that rich purple um, along those like minty green, um, oblanceolate, smooth uh, margined leaves. So they're really pretty uh, as they come up that minty green or that sage green. I, that's what I call it. Would you call it like a minty or a, a sage green? Yeah, I think definitely a sage green. And the black, were you going to talk about a bit about the black? tone like there's some of the full the stems have a bit of a black tone to them that's exactly where i was going so even when it's just in a leaf and the flowers are coming those square stems have like that black purple color so yeah. you get that juxtaposition even when it's not flowering she's got that nice stem color to her which is really nice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and definitely you know early bloomers so starting in my garden kind of mid-may even in a cool cool season like this uh this spring um we do have to say that sometimes it's referred to as sage as well so perennial mm-hmm. sage and it is related to um salvia officinalis which is the herb the kitchen herb uh sage so so they are related and it's interesting that it's in the mint family considering it's not as invasive as the mint family anything in the mint family um, so yeah, so don't let that uh, frighten you. Um, they're very much um, not cedar, you know, self cedars or runners or anything like that. It definitely is a clump. And I'm impressed by the fact that it doesn't, you know, some, many things that kind of um, form like a big clump of flowering um, perennials often kind of then starts to like uh, fall and have like yeah. emptiness in the center. Like, you know, that's kind of gives out. And I don't find that it does that. No, no. And I agree. Um, it doesn't kind of like, I always think it kind of like cracks open because you get that irregular kind of gap that's right through the core of it. And you're right. It forms just a nice rounded, tightly branched uh, clump of that nice rounded form of uh, those salvias, which are just so dense and thick uh, with long lasting flowers. It really mm-hmm. is um, a showstopper. If you have a chance, if you haven't, um, we are going to be posting. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you guys are all on on the radio right now, so you guys can probably <laughs> use Google as well. But uh, yeah, um, there's just a beautiful picture in our graphic um, that I was able to get uh, of just how tight uh, those salvias really do grow. Um, so they're really, really uh, easy growing that way for sure. They're not really messy. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't have to. I always think of um, the classic one that breaks open. I always think of sedum, um, like the autumn joy sedum, which yes. makes that big mature clump, if you're familiar. She kind of breaks open. And the, really the only way to cure is that it's kind of like to to divide her up and then break her into a smaller piece and let her regrow again so that, that you get that tight core again and that nice rounded habit. Yeah. And you know what, Mike? Well, Russian sage does it, um, as does um, even the taller cat mints. You know, as much as I love the cat mint as well, it will kind of splay open uh, that type of thing. And even some of the weaker, uh, like even daisies tend to, right? Like, it, I know it's a different flower, so it's not comparing, but just the perennial habit of doing that. And I think that's both, neither neither Speedwells or Veronica or uh, Salvias do that. So I think that is nice to know that when you, when you let it grow in, it, it, um, it doesn't scream in two years that, oh, you've got to divide it. You know, it really is a low maintenance uh, perennial. Um, it does come now, Matt and I were talking also that we both are familiar with different varieties of purple. 
um, in different shades of purple. I agree with him, Caradonna is my favorite. Um, but it, on our research, it also comes white and pink. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I have to look for that here in our zone and see if I can find that uh, now that I know it exists. And, uh, but I'm sure there's listeners in other zones, especially warmer, uh, with warmer climates that might be experimenting with uh, many of those different colors. So yeah, so it'd be good to hear uh, from you as well, if you have them in the garden. Um, yeah. That's right. Um, I, we were talking again before, um, and the white one that jumped out to me, and I, I just couldn't come up with it, uh, it was from the Lyrical series, uh, and it's the Lyrical White Sage. Uh, she's about two by two, so 60 centimeters, two feet by two feet, or 60 centimeters by 60 centimeters, late spring all the way through uh, late summer, so a nice long bloomer. Uh, with nice pure white flowers. Great for attracting butterflies, uh, good for some cut flowers, and uh, good for some, when established, some good drought tolerance as well. Uh, so take a look at the, yeah, the Lyrical series. Um, and that one's actually, again, like full sun, but it also this Lyrical white is uh, also hardy to zone four. So it's a little oh. hardier than our R5. Right. Uh, so it's okay. quite pretty. Excellent, excellent. Um, I was looking at uh, the Proven Winner site too, so I'm sure many of our our listeners are familiar with uh, white, famous white pots with their perennials and their shrubs, and uh, they have a few different series as well. You mentioned earlier about the the Profusion series, as well as the Color Spires series. So, and the cool thing about these, when you look at this picture, like even if you search for them on the Proven Winners page, um, all the pinks, like you could have three different kind, three different pink ones, and they all are a slightly different pink. Just like I have two different purple ones, and they're slightly different purple. Um, you know, so I think that is uh, really, and even the white one, uh, yes, Color Spire Snow Kiss and white profusion mm. look very look very different uh sometimes a little bit in the leaves right so some of the leaves i find are a little bit bigger and a little bit more um jagged kind of thing on the and the end of the on the leaves um so it's interesting that within one perennial like the leaf does change a little bit yeah i agree i think that some of that that hybridization yeah you're right you get kind of that semi-serrated um, like leaf or just that kind of crinkling or crenulation on some of them. Some of them are nice and smooth. Yeah, I, the, the variation in texture, uh, shape and color is, is quite interesting as well uh, when you're just outside of the flowers themselves. Excellent, or excellent. And we've got a great question here from Sue Postman. Um, she's saying, uh, hello, Ooh. Joanne and Matthew. Great topic tonight. What can we do in regards to prep work for our perennials over the winter months to ensure that our plants come back healthy in the spring summer. Thank you. And she lives in London, Ontario. So she's very local. Well, thank That's you very right. much, Sue, for your question. Um, I think, and we've talked about it, I think, a lot as well, uh, just in the past, just kind of getting ready for whether you're in a perennial garden or, or just in the garden in general, um, just, you know, leaving some things behind, not necessarily cutting everything back. Um, you can cut back. The salvias, uh, as they go into winter, when they're done blooming in late summer, uh, early fall, you'll get those flower spikes and the stems that are just kind of bare. You can always deadhead those back and it'll make a nice, neat clump of foliage there. I have in the past just left them behind 
in clients' gardens as well as in Nana's garden uh, and just left them be, let them collect a little bit of leaves. And then I also just try to make sure, again, because they like a little bit of that moisture in the soil, I just make sure that they don't go into the winter completely dried out. They are drought tolerant when they're established, uh, but I like to give them just a little bit of moisture there. I don't want to soak them or by any means, but just give them a little bit of a drink as they go into the winter. Yeah, and then yeah. Mine have always, I've come back and that's all I've ever done uh, with my mm-hmm. ones. Have you done anything different or? Yeah, no, nothing different at all. So I have to say that it's, um, yeah, that they're very, very um, uh, hardy. And yes. um, I haven't found them needing a lot of water. Uh, I, myself, I found them to be pretty drought resistant, mm-hmm. um, especially show like, and maybe they want it, but they, I don't find that they, you know, there's some things that kind of show that they need a drink. Yeah. Uh, I have never felt like that, that with either of mine and they're both in two different spots. Um, so yeah, so I definitely, um, and all my perennials. Yeah, I don't do a lot. I, I kind of let nature take its course and we, our frosts are getting later and later. I'm sure Sue, you realize that too in London, you know, where we used to, you know, everything would be in mushy in, in October <laughs> and now it's, you know, it's, you know, it's still green in December. So, um, so yeah, so not too much. I think, I think one of my biggest keys would be not, um, getting in the garden too soon, like letting it wake up, um, trimming things too soon, stepping on things too soon. That I think slows down the garden. Just let nature take its course. Let us go through our ups and downs with temperature and things like that. It's amazing how quickly things really do green up and rain. You know, we can be watering and watering and watering. And I think this past week was a huge example of it. And I had a number of people say it. And so, and I noticed it myself that as much as, you know, I was watering newer plants or my homeowners that had just put in new gardens were watering. But as soon as we got, we had a good day of rain last Thursday, poof, everybody's like, oh my gosh, it just blew up, you know? And so there's something about rainwater, don't you think? I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's nothing like it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I do want to mention one of the best things that many of our listeners will uh, want to know about salvia, perennial salvias, is that they do not tend to attract deer or rabbits. Uh, There is an odor, a very, you know, pungent odor to their leaves um, that you wouldn't notice in the garden. Like they're not a, they're not a nice smelling flower necessarily, um, but they're not bad either, but there definitely is um, a, a scent to their foliage. And especially when crushed, much like the herb. And uh, so, yeah, so that tends to be a deterrent for animals uh, like deer and rabbits. And I know rabbits are always that, was it uh, furry, fragrant, and there's another F. What's the other one? Uh, That they don't like it. You don't know. Anyway, so yeah, so that's that's good to know because I know that that can be challenging to plant a whole bunch of beautiful perennials and then just have the deer or rabbits come and devour them. So, so that's another reason to consider uh, salvias for your garden. That's Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, and it's, it's funny that we chose salvias and and our speed wells are because they are similar. Uh, They definitely do uh, are similar. Oh, we have a new listener. Uh, from Charlottetown PEI. Thanks for this advice. It saves a lot of time doing research. Yes, it does. Thank you. We're happy to do the research for you. We just love that you tune in. And uh, so welcome to Down the Garden Path. 
please uh, stay, stay tuned. We're here every Monday <laughs> night, um, as well as the show will be released as a podcast on your favorite podcast app. So, uh, Michael, there's a lot, four years more for you to listen to. <laughs> so uh, thank you for uh, for tuning in. Um, so, yeah. So where would you say the difference is if we transition to I don't know if we're ready to transition to Veronica's. I know we have a few questions about specifically about Veronica's. I was going to say, I think a lot of our, our listeners are really into the Speedwells, yeah. uh, it seems, because we do we did receive a few questions. Um, yeah, they're definitely very similar in the way that they have those, those tall spikes, those rounded spikes and uh, some of seams. Um, but I found over, I find overall, a lot of them can are a little bit smaller. Um, a slightly different, a smaller plant. Like shorter, shorter, shorter. Yes. Thank you. And that's, that's what I should say. Um, being anywhere from about 10 inches to 36 inches. Uh, and again, depending on the cultivar and they're going to spread to about from a foot and a half, uh, to 24 inches wide. They're like the salvias. They can bloom late spring through midsummer. And again, depending on the cultivar as well. Uh, full sun, partial shade, uh, but yeah, they're basically that nice, dense terminal racemes um, that you're gonna you're gonna see. The flowers are, I find, they're much denser. They almost have more of like a round appearance, and I'm mm -hmm. thinking of like the tropical like fox lily, the big yellow yeah. spike, right? It's mm -hmm. it's very rounded and tubular, whereas the salvia, you can see each of the individual flowers hung on their seam. Not that you can't on the other one, but it gives it a definite shape uh, to it. I also find the Veronicas tend to have that little wisp where all the last little buds uh, reach to the very end of the spike kind of curls and gives it a little bit of a, a whimsical um, kind of feel to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, well, with salvias, I know midsummer, so it definitely is a long blooming perennial, but I find it does midsummer, it will, the tubular, you know, flowers are up and we know the butterflies and the insects and the hummingbirds even love the little, they're tiny, tiny all along the stem or what would you call that? The, um, yeah, so the flower yeah. stalk or yeah, the flower stalk. There's these tiny little tubular flowers that are purple or pink or, and that's what uh, the animal or the insects like. But kind of they peter out. They don't fall over. They don't flop. They don't get all messy. But they just no. kind of stop blooming. And so doing and often um, sometimes the, the 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 side you know side shoots will come from the plant if you don't do anything with the main flower stalk. But if you do deadhead the main flower stalks. Um, then they will kind of grow new flower stalks and repeat bloom. So you really, um, I wouldn't call it a high maintenance plant because if you did nothing, it would still force up other side shoots and it would still continue blooming. Um, but to, the best blooms are when I can kind of cut the, when it's done flowering, I cut the main stem and then it just regrows. And uh, so, yeah, um, but I'm not sure if I've, I've not done that to speed wells. Uh, now I've have some in my garden. Um, probably this, this is me, my third year. So I've had them for a couple, like, I think the end of 19, I put a couple in and then all of last year, but I didn't do any, I didn't notice that I had to do any of that deadheading. Um, what about you? Yeah, no, I haven't really ever deadheaded them either. I kind of let them do their thing. And just like you said, they kind of force those side shoots, those lateral flower buds uh, emerge to take over when the, the central one kind of dies back. But then I've ever only ever really kind of cleaned it up at the, at the end 
um, you know, at the end of the year, I'll just kind of tidy it back, back to its foliage. So it's more of like a little, you know, a, a foreground or a little bit of a ground cover or a lower plant. But other than that, I, yeah, everything you've okay. said, I've never really done too much of anything special uh, to do it. She just kind of does her thing and rewards me with it. Excellent. Excellent. And Susan has asked if, uh, do speed wells come in different colors? And they do. They do. And a lot like the salvias, you're going to find pinks and purples, whites, violets, pinky purples, uh, purpley blues, uh, all sorts of different colors, very similar to your salvias. So it's great. Uh, you've got two different sizes between the salvias and the speedwells. So you can combine them in ways amongst your perennial gardens, uh, you know, in the foreground to midground or the midground to background with your different salvias and speedwells. So they combine very nicely. Um, yeah. And similar to this, uh, the salvias in that there's three different kinds, like there's several different kinds of pink, like there are different shades of, yeah. you know, so it's not just, you know, white, pink and purple, like there are different shades within the, in that uh, family. So I think that's even cool, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yes, I agree. And Darlene is also written in and she asks, do Veronica plants spread? So they will spread from about a foot and a half uh, to two feet. And I think there was another question that came that came in that ties into Katie's question. Uh, are speedwell plants invasive? I just wanted to know so that I don't piss off my neighbors. Ha, huh? thank you. <laughs> so yes, thank you, Katie and Darlene. Yes, they do spread 18 to 24 inches, uh, but I've never known Veronica's and it maybe it's just maybe our area. Um, I don't know about anything a little bit more tropical, but I've never heard of any that are invasive and mm -hmm. will just rampage through your garden and take over. They're usually that clump forming, uh, easy to take care of uh, type of thing. And yeah. you can divide them uh, and it's easily done in the spring and the fall Okay, uh, for your speed wells. And you can do that again as well as, whoop, I think I was just going about to click there. Um, for David, who also asked, when, if ever, should I divide my perennials? Is it necessary? Thank you very much. Uh, so just specifically salvias and speed wells. Yes, the spring and that fall are those good times to dig them up, take that nice root ball and with a nice sharp spade. We're going to just cut them into quarters or thirds, depending on the age of your perennials. But I like to leave them in for at least uh, two years to get you a nice root mass before you really start uh, taking them up, breaking them apart. Um, David also just asked one thing that just quickly pops to mind, and I think we'll touch on it in maybe in our fabulous foliage uh, episode in two weeks, uh, the Brunera, the Brunera. Um, so it's a very silvery heart-shaped leaf. Uh, it'll get little blue flowers in the spring that are very like uh, bright blue, baby blue, like forget-me-not like flowers, which that reminds me of. Um, but yeah, if you don't divide them every five to six years, they're one that will actually kind of compact in on each other and can uh, like strangle themselves out. So it's always good to dig those guys up every few years, uh, every five to six years and, and break them apart. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, not too many other ones, save like the sal or the, the sedum that cracks open. It's nice mm -hmm. to have it. Um, there's not really much you really need to be regularly doing like that for any of them. So they're good that way. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so to talk about, uh, we mentioned the um, 
proven winners, uh, Speedwell, or sorry, Salvia varieties and their Speedwell, Speedwell varieties are Magic Show. So they seem to have Magic Show Pink Potion. Yeah, they all seem to be, you know, so there's two ton of two pinks, a white and two purple um, yes. with, uh, with proven winners um those white pots so yeah and they 16 to 18 inches tall 16 to 18 inches wide not invasive they don't see self-seed uh you know and and i I, there's been a lot on some of the facebook groups this week uh, because what started blooming was uh the bachelor buttons you know so I, i just think you know yes it's a pretty color but it's so not worth the work uh and and i think there's i realized too there's a lot of groups um like kind of like free share your like free plant groups and stuff that people are, you know, like giving, you know, I picked up a box of perennials for free from somebody like I think Facebook groups and marketplace groups and oh man, you guys, that's just so dangerous because if you don't know what you're getting, <laughs> um, if you're getting something that somebody has too much of, which is what you're getting, cause that's why they're giving them to you for free or really good price. That surely means you are certainly going to have more than you can handle. So please um, be careful. Uh, if you don't know what it is, it please don't buy it or get it for free. Uh, it's just not worth it. I mean, I know you're saving a couple bucks, but some things like gout weed, I know this is a Ooh. bit off topic, but you know, there's so many different things uh, that might be beautiful, but are a lifetime of work. Uh, so please buyer beware or like picking up free free beware kind of thing with plants. So I think of when I look at this color of this magic show, uh, Wizard of Oz is A H H S. I was going to say that's my that favorite one. It's so I funny. Know. But is that not the same blue as uh, as the bachelor buttons? And so you know what? I know the flower looks different, but it's that same color. It's going to blue for much longer. It is not going to be invasive. It's not going to self seed. Please, um, you know. There are alternatives. So I think that's one of the things we wanted you to know that, um, you know, we wanted long blooming, you know, people always ask us about low maintenance um, and these things that you don't have to do a lot too. And it's going to bloom. You don't have to stake it. You don't have to, you know, fertilize it, uh, that kind of thing. They're just really tough as nails. And as long as you've put them in the right spot, like full sun, uh, they will do well for you and they will bloom most of the season and come again next year with very little help from you. So isn't that what low maintenance is all about, right? That is like the definition of low yes. maintenance right That's there. Right. That's right. That's, That's right. exactly it. I'll get off my soapbox now. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought it was a perfect time uh, at the bottom of the hour. Uh, just to thank everyone, like our new listener, uh, Michael from PEI, uh, for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, the lovely, the wonderful Joanne Shaw, and uh, you are listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the great guests that join us here on the show. So, uh, you know, if you need to, uh, we would love for you to spend more time with us down the garden path. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe, uh, to be notified of new content, like, share, and leave us 
us a comment. You can also find us offline off the radio show. Uh, you can find Joanne at down the number two earth dot ca and you can find me at naturalaffinity.ca and our wonderful producer gary here uh at reality radio 101 uh will always forward uh our mail to us so you know write and say hi to gary you can write at in studio 101 at gmail.com anytime as well as during the show to ask your live questions that's right. That's right. And speaking of questions, we've got a few, don't we? We um, do. Yeah. So people, I'm excited that people are keen to talk about perennials. So that is great. Um, Florence has written in and she says, on average, how long do perennial plants live? How many years would they survive? Uh, what plants last the longest so that I would not have to plant for a while? Yes, you can tell that I'm lazy. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's it's reasonable, uh, Florence, definitely reasonable. Um, I would then say plant flowering shrubs because they're really my passion, but definitely supplement with some perennials. Uh, but yeah, I think it depends. I think most perennials, wouldn't you say, are longer lived? Like there are some short lived ones, but most are fairly long. Yes, I agree. Most are fairly long. And even if they are in there long and you feel they're looking a little ratty, you can always rejuvenate them and give them some more life by dividing them and, and moving them about and that'll get going. Uh, but yes, for the most part, they are very long lived. Um, the answer to your um, or is it the longest lived, uh, the longest perennial that I know uh, lifespan is peonies and somebody else mm -hmm. might be able to uh, uh, chime in there too if they know something longer uh, but peonies have been known to live upwards of 120 years mm -hmm. so very generational you can be giving them to generations upon generations uh, yeah so yeah thank you for your question Florence we hope that uh, answers your question mm -hmm. definitely uh, and I think the only thing would really prevent things uh, like long blooming perennials would be the loss of the light, like, you know, once hmm. a garden, so when you put in a, an, a plants in a full sun garden, um, but, there, but let's say there's young trees nearby. So eventually in 20 years, that's now a full, you know, full shaded garden or partly shaded garden. So things may struggle a little bit, um, but it's not, you know, that's just because the growing conditions have really changed and it changes gradually. So, so if you are in one of those uh, predicaments, then that's what's going on. You know, they really do like their full sun. Um, and six hours of sun is considered full sun, which I think yeah. leads to another question. Doesn't it? Oh, yes. I think um, Brenda. Mm -hmm. Okay. Brenda wrote in sun or shade. Um, hi, do speedwells need a lot of sun to grow properly? Mm -hmm. I am in partial shade here in Quebec. I get about six hours of sun in my yard per day. And so just as you had just said, Joanne, yeah, Brenda, uh, full sun is defined as six hours of that consecutive light uh, or more, uh, such as like eight or 10. And mm. then you get into about three to six or four to six as partial shade. And then usually anything less than, you know, three is a bright or uh, considered full shade and then varying degrees depending on canopy and whatever else is there. That's right. So I guess to answer your question, Brenda, <laughs> yes, your speedwells uh, are all going to be sun to partial shade and your salvias are more full sun 
uh, creatures. So full sun for your salvias and full to partial for your uh, Veronicas or your speedwells. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, Sean has gone off the board uh, with a question, which is okay, Sean, it's okay. Um, you've, because this is actually blooming right now in, in many people's gardens. So that's why it's a, a popular topic. Um, so he's asking about uh, oriental poppies. Um, if, do you know when I can transplant them? There's not a lot of online about that subject. That's pretty much because they're really hard to transplant, uh, Sean. They have a really actually, yeah, it's too bad because you can't even share them with friends. Like, so unlike many other perennials, there are a handful like oriental poppies where they have such a tap root to them that they really um, are virtually impossible to split and divide. Um, I know some people have done it and had some success. I have not. I've tried it a few times, um, but they really are uh, challenging. They're kind of really a unique flower. Even you can't, they're so beautiful and you want to cut them and bring them inside and put them in a vase. And even that doesn't work. Apparently you have to make that successful. Did you, have you known that you have to burn because they they're full of a sap or a milk. And as soon as you cut them, it just, yeah. So you have to um, sear the sear the tip of the flower to kind of get it to last even for a short period of time. Isn't that interesting? So yeah, oriental poppies are really unique that way. Um, so full sun, short-lived, like short season, you know, in the sense that they bloom for this week and then they're, then they're done. But they are um, they are a wow in the garden. I just wish they bl- bloomed a little fat, little longer. Um, you know, either, and that red and that orangey red, you know, it's very few things that come up in the garden. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so they're worth having, but they definitely are not what I would call, um, a, uh, something like a look, well, they're not high maintenance. They're just, uh, they're just short-lived. Yeah, yeah. Like in the sense, short blooming. I don't want to say short lived. Um, so yeah, so Sean, yes. that's why it is really hard to um, transplant them. Um, definitely. So uh, so they really have a, they form a really d- dense clump uh, of, of a tap root. Yeah, and even we were trying to, I remember back in the day working at um, Cullen Gardens, there were a few that we would try to transplant um, and because of those roots, they were just difficult to move. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was very iffy whether or not we were going to do it. So we never really moved them into a super prominent spot. Um, we just kind of moved them around and did our best with them uh, to get them to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley wrote in an interesting question. Um, hey, are, aren't salvia plants a hallucinogenic drug? So... I don't did know. You if Google, the, did you Google that? I don't know. I, I had to quick, quickly Google because I, I was pretty sure there was one of the species that were, but I didn't think it was the superba or the hybrids that we grew. Um, so I did just had to quickly look. Um, but it is, there's a sage of the diviners, salvia din, uh, divinorum, which is a herbal mint because it is a mint. It's in the mint family. But it is a naturally occurring sage, a uh, perennial sage that is uh, a, a hallucinogenic plant. So there yeah. you go. There we go, Riley. <laughs> there you go, Riley. There you go. Learn something new every time you tune in to Down the Garden Path. See, that's you right. We, learn we don't right just talk about cannabis, you. right? We didn't just <laughs> talk also about hallucinogenic um, perennials. We talk about hallucinogenic perennials, hobbies, right. sages. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> definitely oh. definitely um so yeah 
Do, do, do. Oh, what is the best? Oh, this is a good question from Lisa. What is the best time of year to plant bulbs? Also, do you have to remove them and then replant them every year? Any tips for planting them? Thanks for your question, Lisa. They uh, Spring bulbs, the ones that bloom for the most part, there are summer bulbs as well. So it's kind of... Uh, I guess not as simple of a question as I was like, oh, that's an easy, that's an easy question to answer. But um, um, sorry, Lisa, that's a little complicated. So spring bulbs like tulips and daffodils and um, alliums, you definitely plant in the fall and they will bloom in the spring and you do not have to remove them and dig them up. Um, you do need to let the foliage die naturally, which can some kind of drive some people crazy seeing the dead leaves of daffodils. It's driving me personally crazy. My daffodil dead leaves <laughs> in the garden. Um, but yes, yeah, so that those are fine. But there are some summer bulbs, right, Matt? Like gladiolas, cannas. Callas, your dahlias. Okay, your... I knew there knew more were coming there. So yeah, <laughs> so those ones you plant in the spring as well. Yep. They bloom in the summer and fall right and then you do need to dig the uh, tubers and bulbs up in the fall um in most climates right maybe not some like zone seven can they stay yeah i think most of them like the the, the ones that we see the, the yeah they're like zone seven and higher so yeah just depending on where you are lisa yeah if you're in a warmer zone you may not have to lift some of those up for the winter uh and store them in a, a cool drier, darker spot, uh, you might be able to let them go all the way through, like your normal tulips and daffs and everything. Um, and then, yeah, so just going to your question again, yeah, um, do you, also, do you have to remove them? Yeah, again, only if they're not cold hardy. Um, most people do try to remove them, like the tulips and the daffodils, um, because unless, like Joanne was saying, unless you have something, unless you're like letting them refeed, um, like refeed the bulb to build next year's flower. Like Joanne was saying, most people get irritated by the foliage because they want to have their perennials or something and they don't want to hiding there. So I find um, at least a lot of my customers from the garden center come back and they buy more bulbs um, <laughs> because the other ones, they don't get that time or they've cut the foliage and then she hasn't built the flower for next year. So they, she leaves out trying to complete what she started last year and then she doesn't flower or barely mm. flowers at all. Right, uh, right. With the hardy ones, yeah. Yeah, but then that's really poor planning. Like I think to save you the work of having and uh, having to you know buy them because not only do you have to buy them and spend more money you have to plant them again so yes. i think it's better to have perennial you know to make sure you plant the bulbs in the right spot so that perennials come up and kind of cover off or mix in with those daffodil or the leaves of tulips and daffodils uh that type of thing so yeah so definitely and we do have some past shows where we've talked all about planting bulbs in the fall yes uh lisa so take a look at that through our um your podcast app for um for when we've talked about uh in the fall planting spring bulbs so that'll tell you more yes that's a huge subject we could talk the rest of the show for about i know <laughs> so i was trying to be concise but somewhat i guess vague. but so i'm sorry and, lisa <laughs> and and brian and brian's like you know we and we joked about this as the show was opening that someone asked about lawn so yeah yep. so brian says he has a lawn question just kidding nice and nice advice and information tonight thank you where should i send the consulting fee ha huh? thanks <laughs> you could just sponsor the show for an episode there you go brian <laughs> yes maybe a lawn episode you know or the lawn category which was it's okay it was last month but uh anyway thanks for writing in <laughs> 
in and for listening. Uh, definitely. Um, Ooh, this is another one we could talk about. And we have done a show. We did two shows last year, didn't we? On Because we did a month of flowering vines. That's so right. clematis or clematis, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, Nancy has written in, when should I prune clematis if needed any special time? Well, there definitely is a special time. And we covered that last year in uh, Clematis uh, episode or version one and or episode one and episode two, right? Um, so it depends on the variety you have, whether you have an early blooming or a later blooming one, right, Matt? Yeah, exactly. And depending on the time of year that they're going to bloom, they fall into three different types, your type one, two, and three. So knowing the name of your Clematis uh, cultivar, a quick Google is probably the best way to do it. Um, just, I don't know them all right away. You didn't put mm -hmm. your name in there, um, but it'll tell you what type it is. And then each type has specific pruning instructions on how to do it the best, how to rejuvenate it uh, and really give it the best chance and that best show for mm -hmm. you each and every year. So as long as you know that name, uh, you should be able to very quickly find that out. And then, yes, uh, we go into greater depth in our uh, vine, vivacious vines, I think we called it. Uh, yes. And it we, was were so we were so creative. We were. I would say to play it safe, though, Nancy, is right now like mid mid-June um don't cut anything like leave it right. and it will bloom and you'll you know you might still have some dead and that that'll kind of give you a clue or if it's all green um then then that will tell you something too so I think uh I think from now um because it's just it's like similar to hydrangeas in the way of like new wood or old wood does it bloom on new wood and old wood yeah. and so by letting it go now and seeing you know oh looks it's, it's blooming on all its old wood uh, from last year, I thought died because it was all brown, you know, three weeks ago. And it, but yet now it's blooming, it's growing off of that dead wood. Then you know that that's one um, that you shouldn't prune. Um, and if it's, you know, all coming from the ground again, then then that's another indicator. So that helps you a little bit for sure. Yes. So thank you for that question. Um, oh, another uh, first time listener from Evansville, uh, Indiana. Uh, loving the show so far. It's incredible that he's, yeah, Zoom 6. And they're saying now we're almost like a 6B, right? Yeah, so I think it was in 2019, they they switched our zone from a 5B to a 6A. Um, yeah, and so everyone's looking for these 6s. And you know what I say is the um, Miscanthus sinensis purpurensens, that purple fountain grass, that one that everybody loves, is a zone six. And so I will believe we are zone six when it truly perennializes in our ah, space. I thought it was a zone seven. Is it really a zone six? I thought it was a zone, I was sure it was zone six. I might be wrong on that, but that would also explain why it's not doing it. But I also yeah. don't have the big area to do a bunch of zone sixes. Have you tried anything new in zone six in your garden to see what our, if it comes and goes? No, have not, Peter. You know, I don't, I have to say, I don't pay as much attention to the zones. Like if I want it, I'll plant it. And, uh, you know, so, and I, I'm running out of room. So really, but I do say like Japanese bloodgrass, for instance, when I know when I started in this industry, like it, it was, we really did treat it as an annual, like it did not come back. And yes. now it's, now it's coming back uh, like crazy. You know, it does, it is a shorter lived one. Like it does kind of peter out. Um you know, it'll have three or four great seasons. And then the fifth season, it's like, meh, you know, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, 
Um, this is a really good question. Emma, you said, why do you know why speedwells are also called Veronica's? I cannot find anything online about that. Thank you so much. So is Veronica not its botanical name? Yes. Veronica okay. is its is botanical name. It's genus name. And then Spike Speedwell is uh, their common names or speedwells as in our title. Uh, right. Are there more their common names? Yeah, yeah, so hopefully that makes sense. Um, just like salvias. So Emma, salvias are the Sages. botanical name, right? Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. Yes, botanical name. Um, but, oh, no, no. Salvias are the common name. No. Speed no, you sage. have it. Yeah. So salvia is the genus there for the sages, but the sage um, is your, your common name. So salvia is botanical. Sage is your, your common. Your common. Yeah. Right. But it's funny. Some things just, whether it's the common name or the botanical name, something stick just because of the name. Um, but Speedwell and Veronica are ones that people kind of use inter interchangeably. Um, you know, yeah. and so I, myself, I have to look up again. Oh, wait a minute. Which, which is it? And even, uh, yeah, I mean, even looking at the proven winner site and Veronica dash Speedwell's guide, you know? So, uh, so yeah. Um, so that is so, good. Um, Hannah has written in, hello, uh, just tuned in. I'm not sure if you answered this question already, but do Speedwells need any fertilizer? And if so, what? Um, I have found that they're pretty free blooming. They don't need too mm -hmm. much, any special fertilizer. Um, they're easy going. I, and I think as we talked about on the show, um, you know, just adding that nice layer of compost to really feed the soil. Um, just kind of helps with that soil structure and gives it usually enough food. Uh, if you did want to do something with it, maybe yours is struggling for some reason. Uh, I always kind of look at the phase that it's in. If it's growing more vegetatively, I'm going to do something with a little bit more nitrogen, like a 20-20-20 or a 24-8-16. And then if she's moving into a flowering phase, or even when she gets into the point where, like for us, when we get into winter, she's kind of gathering up and, and bracing for the winter. Uh, and for us, I I usually start to say about August 15th or 20th, just so that we don't promote too much new growth. Um, but usually around the end of August, something with a higher middle number and last number, the phosphorus and the potassium, just to start to bolster those resistances and give those roots some food to store uh, mm -hmm. and get ready to go over. And then, of course, the middle number, the phosphorus, uh, also plays a big part in stitching the ovaries of all the flowers. So when she's flowering, you'd give her that high phosphorus just to encourage those blooms and uh, and that structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Overall, I don't feel like many perennials really no. are fertilizer hungry, you know? Um, no. I think some people just, you know, they, whether it's the sprinkle ones or whether you just want to miracle grow everything, if you intersperse annuals in with your perennials, um, I think sometimes people, you know, just put the, and I did too, when I first started gardening, you know, I, and I had time, <laughs> I, I would put the, you know, the little blue crystals in my watering can and water away. Um, but now I really don't, you know, if I do have to water, yeah. um, you know, during a droughtful period, I would water. Um, but for the most part, I, I really don't. Uh, and I find most of my perennials are, are fine. They don't need the fertilizing. They don't even really need the extra water. Um, you know, so that's something that's another thing. I think really when you're planning a garden, you know, that's the goal is, is the low maintenance, low demand. Um, not having to worry about it. Um, and, and maybe you're top dressing with a manure or, or a, a compost in the fall or early spring, which is going to benefit all your plants, annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, 
you know, that kind of thing, but no, nothing comes to mind that needs a lot. And I think in the opposite, I think things like coneflower, like things, if you give it, make it too nutritious and too, that they don't do well. So I think, I think that, you know, peonies example, like I know people, I, that's common thing, especially this time of year, you know, what do I need to feed my peony? And the answer is really nothing like just leave it be. And I, I think just keeping mindful of the sunlight that, more established gardens, you know, that was five years was full sun, um, including with a peony, you know, if there's now trees sh- shading it or other plants growing up, um, you know, even large shrubs growing up and kind of shading it, then that could be the reason uh, for s- less profuse flowering, um, not necessarily, you know, needing to fertilize or anything like that. So definitely keep that in mind. Uh, so yeah, so lots to talk about. What a great show. I'm glad everybody's as keen on these. They really are, uh, uh, you know, and I always say, cause I do kind of, when I do designs and all my clients want, uh, low maintenance and, um, and really it's about the right plant, in the right spot for low maintenance. And, um, some of the dwarf shrub, majority of my gardens are dwarf shrubs and dwarf evergreens that really don't get too need a lot of maintenance. And then I will supplement with some key perennials in some, in some spots that I know are blooming. And I always say to people, aside from a peony, if the perennial doesn't bloom for most of the summer, then I, I very rarely use them. So that's where speedwells and salvias uh, come in, in that they really do provide um, the color with, with low maintenance. Uh, but I do have to confess, I have to look for some pink ones and some white ones because I have relied heavily on the purple. Not that I don't love the purple, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Speaking of uh, a great show, Joyce has written in saying, this is a fantastic show tonight. I have learned so much. Thank you very, very much. Joyce from Kingston, Ontario. Uh, P.S. Do you have that book out yet? Uh, No, we don't. We have had um, both of just a very productive, um, busy spring, uh, early summer we things are just hopping and uh, we are working on it. It is still on the horizon. We're still uh, polishing off some of our notes and moving forward, but the book is on its way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you, Joyce, for asking. But yes, you do have a book to yet look forward to. Mm-hmm. And Ken has asked, can I plant perennials in the hot summer? Thank you for the answer. Uh, Ken, I think it, I think you can. I mean, it's less than less than ideal to plant anything in a really hot summer. But if you are home to water it, if you are home to keep an eye on it, um, then I think it's fine. I mean, if that's when things go on sale, sometimes that's when you find one in the middle of summer that you can't resist and you really want to add to your garden. So, um, so yeah, I think it's fine. It's same with shrubs. I get that asked a lot. I don't know about you, Matt, about trees and shrubs. Like, is it, you know, we can only plant trees in the spring or only plant trees in the, in the fall. Um, and yes, those are ideal conditions, although they can be challenging too, because they can some be wet and drought as well. Um, but I think as long as you're around planting a perennial and then going to the cottage for two weeks, not such a good idea. And that's what I usually say too, when people ask, it's like, can summer great to plant? Yeah, but it's also great to vacation in, and that's where we would rather spend our time than yeah. babying these guys who need our little extra care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and knowing that they may go into a little bit of shock and, and maybe yeah. you cut it back a little bit and then it regrows, but uh, but that's okay. 
that's okay. So, so yeah. So as we wrap up the show, I can't believe it. There's just a few minutes left. Um, Howard, I just wanted to ask about how the garden center is going. Like it's, as uh, I was there, yeah, I saw you yesterday at work. It's still full of uh, plants. I know everybody was worried that there wouldn't be enough before the May long weekend. And there's still lots, right? You were getting more and more in. Yeah, we were able to get lots and lots more in, um, even the annuals. There's still actually lots of veggies. We've got some bigger tomatoes and other crops that maybe if you didn't get a chance to start or didn't find some earlier ones. Um, yeah, there's still lots to come in. We're getting lots of great new shrubs in. Uh, the Illuminati series mock orange, which I'm really excited about. Uh, there's some great selections still yet to be had. Uh, so yeah, definitely check out your local garden center. Uh, don't be afraid to ask. Uh, things are a little staggered and a little awkward uh, just for timing of some of those things. Uh, but things are still coming in and there's still some really good selection out there. Uh, I know we're filled with some still some beautiful, colorful annuals uh, that luckily, and because we're normally out of some of them uh, by this time of year as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. so, yeah, things are pretty steady still. Yeah. And I know you're, some things are in a little bit, bit like, you know, maybe you don't have the cell packs and I think growers are starting to get away from the cell packs anyway. They are. So you might have bigger pots of, of annuals. So really you didn't, so yes, you're paying a little bit more, but you're getting kind of instant, uh, instant flower, right? You're not having to wait for those cell packs to develop. And really those cell packs, you never really got all four of those plants. <laughs> you know, it was like you were hit, it was a Russian roulette there, whether you got two out of the four or three out of the four pack. But uh, um, anyway, so yeah, so just please support your local uh, grower and your local garden centers and nurseries. They're really, um, you know, they're really having to pivot a ton during this, this challenging time. And uh, many are small businesses, family run. Uh, and uh, please, uh, continue to support them for your plants and gardening needs. Um, yeah, just a shout out to all of them, hardworking families, uh, getting, uh, keeping us uh, going with plants and, uh, and stuff. Um, and designs continue. I'm spacing, trying to space things out a little bit and installs are happening. I'm ordering plant orders for my clients. Um, I, I do full designs as well as planting plans. And uh, so a lot of my clients, especially with the challenging uh, lining up to get into a nursery, it was just easier for me to order plant, order their gardens for them that I designed and have their plants delivered for them. A lot of DIYs. They wanted my help with the plan, but they wanted to plant them. So, uh, so I've done a, a, quite a bit of that in the last couple of weeks. So yeah, so it's, it's fun. It's fun. Sleep is for, ooh, I don't know. Sleep is for turtles. See, oh, there you go. Sleep is for turtles. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's generally not for landscape designers in uh, in May or June. That is for sure. <laughs> so uh, thank you everybody for listening and for joining us on this great episode of Down the Garden Path here on Reality Radio 101. And we will see you next week. What are we talking about next week? We're talking about echinaceas and coneflowers. Woohoo! There you go, everybody. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw, and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.